And good afternoon, it's Michael in Maui, Hawaii, and this is our regular Sunday Ageless Wisdom Mystery School Seminar, or webinar, or you can just call it a class. And uh, not unlike the radio programs that I did for years in Los Angeles, except that uh, now we're able to do guided imagery, meditation exercises, something we could never do on the radio. And so every week we choose a different theme, a different topic in the personal growth and success and fulfillment areas of personal development and spiritual development. And our theme for the week this week is altered states of expanded awareness, altered states of consciousness. We're going to talk about it a little bit and... uh, explore why somebody would even be interested in altering their their perception of things. Expanding. It's not just altering. It's really expanding. I think that's a good place to begin. I believe uh, it's uh, Charles Tart that uh, gets credit for coining the term altered states. Um, I think throughout history there has been discussion of expanded states or heightened states of awareness, of consciousness. And those are interesting words, Um, two different models, I guess. We We often think of something that is better or superior as being up or higher. So higher awareness or higher consciousness, or consciousness raising, uh, as far back as the 60s, uh, anti-war groups and civil rights groups and women's groups had consciousness raising classes and wor- workshops, basically teach-ins. But then, largely because of the 60s and the experimentation in with, with psychedelic drugs and uh, and just the whole cultural, the, the expansion of culture and of, of, of the way people were thinking, uh, the whole word consciousness uh, took on a new meaning. So heightened states of consciousness or expanded states. Now here's more of a 3D model, right? And I, I happen to like this even better myself. Expanded states of awareness, expanded levels of consciousness, if you will. Uh, so, not just altered, but improved is is what we're saying. And an expanded state of awareness is a level of mind where you understand larger concepts. It's sort of like, uh, well, I'll describe it in more detail later, um, not only my experiences of of being able to expand my awareness, but that in history as well, reported throughout history and all cultures and all times, these ecstatic and blissful uh, out-of-body sometimes experiences that are associated with uh, altered states. Or we could say the altered states of expanded awareness are associated sometimes with ecstasy and uh, out-of-body experience. Even physical levitation has been reported by pretty high credible sources throughout history. Um, So we're not just talking about a different point of view. We're talking about an altered state is really a more inclusive and more complete understanding of whatever it is you happen to be thinking about. 
sometimes the most mundane concepts become fascinating uh, and truly intriguing uh, in in states of uh, expanded awareness, these so-called altered states. Well, I've already made reference to the psychedelics, so let's start there in terms of uh, ways of inducing this, because the psychedelic experience uh, in the 60s and, and, and thereafter, I think, changed America in ways that few people really appreciate. The cultural shift that happened as a result of some significant number of people uh, being dosed with LSD. Now, uh, the story is a fascinating one, and I won't go into it in, in detail, but essentially uh, the CIA made a mistake by a factor of 10 to the third power. They did not understand that LSD was dosed in micrograms instead of milligrams. And so they ordered a thousand times more than they really wanted to, a thousand times more doses, so to speak, from Sandoz Labs in, um, I believe, Geneva. I think Sandoz Labs is in uh, Geneva. And so they ended up with all this LSD, this pure LSD, and they didn't know what to do with it. They were like... Uh, giving it to the military to test on some of their people, prisoners in the brig and such. They were giving it to university professors and the heads of research institutions to dose uh, psychotic people or prisoners, uh, many of them without their knowledge. Uh, people of color and minorities were tested in unusual situations without their knowledge or consent. Um, even animals. There's a book called Acid Dreams that documents all these experiments that were done with uh, uh, animals in LSD, which I don't know, I have, I have a bit of a problem with that, but even an elephant they had dosed on LSD. There's a famous story of dosing spiders and watching them spin their webs on LSD and the impact of the acid on the web. It's pretty fascinating pretty fascinating stuff. So throughout history, even before LSD was synthesized, uh, there there have been, and of course continue to, to be, a whole series of uh, chemical substances found in nature that create the psychedelic experience, the psychotropic experience of your mind suddenly being expanded as if you just gained a whole new sense of things. Um, and, of course, you have the psilocybin mushroom. You have uh, peyote. Uh, there's ayahuasca. And even LSD can be found in nature. It's, uh, it's a rye ergot. It's a fungus that, that can grow on um, rye, you know. So uh, throughout history... People have had what they could only explain as religious or spiritual experiences as a result of using these chemicals um, and sensing, again, a bigger picture, a more inclusive, but also a, a sense of connectedness to all things. That's, that's what really identifies this 
experience that we're talking about, the expanded awareness or cosmic consciousness uh, of intuition and, and revelation and inspiration. It's not just a different point of view. It's a bigger point. <laughs> it's a bigger point of view. It's as if you've zoomed out and now see more and understand more. For those of you who may remember the old original Star Trek, there was a great scene where, uh, in one of the early episodes, you know, with Kirk and Spock and and uh, McCoy, uh, and the Doctor McCoy is has to do some sort of complex brain surgery. I think it's probably even a uh, a brain transplant, and of course he can't do it until the alien influences him. I forget exactly how dosed him or something. And uh, then suddenly it was perfectly clear to him. He said, it's child's play. Oh, my goodness, it's so obvious. I can do this. And, and then the dose wears off, and he forgets what he's doing again and becomes uh, befuddled. Well, that's most of us most of the time. We are befuddled. There's just so much stimulus in our lives. And then... We get hooked on the adrenaline. We seek even more stimulus. And it fills our head with thoughts. And those thoughts are distracting and cause us to see little bits and pieces, but not the bigger picture. It takes a quiet, calm, and still mind to begin to see the bigger picture. So... In any event, psychedelics, we certainly have to talk about the use of psychedelics in a spiritual practice, a religion, uh, even recreationally. Um, and the problem, of course, is that these substances are illegal and, un, in most cases, and uh, unregulated. So I don't personally recommend experimentation with psychedelics because you just don't know what you're getting anymore, which is tragic because I think reasonable person would have to agree there's potential uh, insight and understanding available and this the, these uh, mind expanding drugs should be investigated no question about it second thing I want to talk about uh, second approach really to creating these altered states uh, has to be the light and sound machines or the uh, holosonic tapes and uh, one of the things that these things, uh, the, way, the reason, the, I'll explain the light and sound machine first, and then we'll talk about binaural beat a little bit. The light uh, and sound is creating an entrainment effect. That's the key word in understanding the mind machine or the light and sound machine is entrainment. Now, Maybe another topic for another day. It's unfortunate that the medical establishment has sort of co-opted the word and made it into a medical term so that people who are not licensed medical doctors cannot experiment with entrainment. At least that's the direction they're moving in. They want to control it. Here's the phenomena that is entrainment and the altered state that it creates. Uh, in, entrainment is the tendency of the brain waves. Everybody's who's alive is generating brain waves, okay, uh, between very slow, like one or two cycles per second, up to, well, in 
high anxiety states, the mid to upper 30s, close to 40, will say 1 to 40 hertz, 1 to 40 cycles per second. Well, when one puts on the glasses that come with the light and sound machine and the headphones that go with it, you, you choose a program on this little device, and the lights in the glasses, little red LEDs, begin to flash at a given frequency. At the same time, tones in your headphones pulsate, beep, 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 at that same frequency. In a given program, uh, it might start at, let's say, 20 or 25 cycles per second. Like that, and the lights are flashing. You can't even see the separate flashes. They just are pulsating and vibrating. And you have your eyelids closed. You put the glasses on over closed eyelids. You put the headphones on. And then over time, over the next two or three minutes, that goes a little slower and a little slower. And the brain waves follow. That's entrainment. And you don't have to train yourself to do it. It's an automatic, autonomic process that uh, it's, 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 nobody knows exactly why it is so. But uh, another good word for it is sympathy. It seems that the brain wants to vibrate in sympathy with any stimulus around it coming to it that falls within those normal brainwave frequencies, 1 to 40 hertz, 1 to 40 cycles per second. So there also are energized programs that are on these light and sound machines, which is sort of upside down. They start with a medium brainwave rate, and then the lights and the sounds pulsate faster and faster and faster. Okay, It's like drinking a can of Red Bull, only no caffeine. It's just the stimulus that comes in at a higher frequency and the entrainment effect, the automatic entrainment effect causes the brain waves to follow and uh, match that increasing frequency. Um, and that certainly can wake you up and stimulate you, get you ready for a sports contest or something like that. Most of the programs, of course, are the other way. They're relaxation programs, slower and slower and slower and slower to create the altered state. Again, the altered state of expanded awareness um, outside of the psychedelic, which is a chemical experience, is a state generally of deep relaxation and a quiet mind and emotional tranquility to get the bigger picture, the more inclusive, more complete it's like an elevated perspective. It's like it's like looking down from a higher point of view. So that's how light and sound machines work. And by the way, I've used these myself for about 15 years. I've owned a half a dozen of them. Uh, they run anywhere from, uh, I think, $250 to $350. And if you want to know more about it, you can look on my website under the link that says fun. Uh, there's a lot there. You may have to scroll down a little bit. But um, if you just go to theagelesswisdom.com or michaelbenner.com, click on homepage to get in, and then you'll see a link that says fun. Click on that tab, 
and it's in that area. Light and sound machines, really fascinating, uh, fascinating stuff. And if you want to buy one, let me know. We can we can get you set up, and uh, you get a 30-day free trial period too. It's like Buddha in a box. It's absolutely fascinating. Now, something that the better light and sound machines will do is create binaural beat. This is a little different than just entrainment. Binaural beat is sending a slightly different tone into one ear um, than the primary tone that's going into the other ear. So let's say the tone, not the frequency of the pulsing of the tone, but the tone itself is, uh, oh, the, the note A below middle C on a piano. All right, that's about 440 cycles per second. Well, what if this machine put 440 cycles per second into one ear and 444 cycles per second into the other ear? Well, these two hemispheres of the brain that are both in training and syncing up, um, well, they're both in training, and, and, and matching the frequency, but now due the, to the, to the uh, shall I say, conflict or the dissidence uh, in one side of the brain, hearing in one headphone, one tone, and the other side of the brain hearing almost the exact tone, but just off by a very little bit, now you get synchronization as well as entrainment of the frequency, and these two hemispheres link these two halves of the brain. Uh, this is a, a state that is only seen in yogi masters and real expert meditators, but it can be induced with a binaural beat from these light and sound machines. So what happens is you set up a frequency that is the difference of the two. So you have 440 in one ear, 444 in the other ear. You, you're setting up a four cycle per second beat inside your head that not only synchronizes the hemispheres but tends to entrain the brain waves to go even lower and slower again as close to sleep as we can get that's where the doorways are the alpha and theta brain wave levels even even beyond alpha deep deep alpha and into theta where a lot of unexperienced meditators would be falling asleep but as you get more practiced, more experienced, it's easier to move into these low levels of deep alpha or even theta without falling asleep. And again, the light and sound machine, one of its advantages is that while it's relaxing you and taking you through entrainment into these low brainwave states of expanded awareness, you've still got red LEDs <laughs> you know, flashing in front of your closed eyelids. And so it's a little less likely you're going to fall asleep in, in that state. And we also have to mention the binaural beat in terms of Holosync tapes and CDs. There's a lot of these on the market. Um, I'm familiar with the uh, tapes out of the Monroe Institute in Faber, Virginia. I believe there's another brand called Holosync that's uh, real popular. And you can even get the software to generate your own programs and your own entrainment and such if you're really interested in uh, in experimenting with it. And what you're doing is essentially experimenting with your ability to turn away from stimulus and quiet and 
calm the mind so that it becomes more aware, more awake, and you get the bigger picture. Okay. So uh, there's a couple of different ways, the psychedelics uh, and how legitimate that is because it's chemically induced is certainly open for debate, uh, how reliable and how beneficial, but you know, sometimes just to have the experience to know that it's possible uh, can open you um, to these states of mind without any kind of chemical inducement. All right? And then the light and sound machine, boot in a box. Again, check that out on my website if you want to know more about that. Those are fascinating. I use those a lot with uh, clients who are really resistant to letting go. It doesn't feel safe for them to relax. and I found the light and sound machine to be really, really good for those people. And uh, then the Holosync tapes and CDs and the other meditation tapes and CDs. Okay. Even a simple narrative over background music uh, can be uh, very trance-inducing and can take us to these altered states. Now, our primary look, however, is much more organic than any of this. Without any chemistry and without any machinery or recorded tapes, it's just to uh, contemplate, to empty the mind, to turn away from physical sense and sensation and perform uh, some sort of meditation or contemplation to create that state of expanded awareness. Um, in the last couple of weeks, we've talked a lot, especially last week, we talked about visualization and guided imagery, and uh, especially for the goal-oriented, problem-solving Westerner to do a meditation with visualization has a lot of real practical benefits. Uh, a lot of people get confused about that, though, because they believe all meditation is contemplation. And so let me go back to that this week, only we'll focus on the contemplation because that's a kind of meditation where you're not visualizing, you're not chanting or using a mantra. Um, you're, you let go of all of that and allow the mind to, to slow down all by itself. It's just sort of like take your foot off the gas. You don't have to step on the brake. Just take your foot off the gas, and uh, slowly you're going to go slower and slower and slower. Well, stop feeding the mind with stimulus from your eyeballs and your ears and your ability to smell and feel tactily and taste and turn away from that, and the mind expands and becomes aware through expanded understanding, through insight, a bigger picture. i give you a couple of models in a minute of exactly what I'm talking about here and ways to think about this more inclusive, more comprehensive view of things, the bigger picture, the whole enchilada. I keep emphasizing this because it's important. An altered state is not just a different point of view. This is... I don't want I don't want to do a tangent here, but if we if we just look at the area of of education and, and discovery and, and science, uh, 
we find, for example, that as we learn more about science, it doesn't make the old truth wrong. It just adds to a more complete and comprehensive understanding. That process needs to be appreciated. In other words, Einstein essentially proved that Newton's laws of motion were wrong, except that they weren't really wrong because we still teach Newton's laws of motion. For large objects at low speeds, Newton's laws work just fine, but for tiny little subatomic particles moving at enormous rates of speed, the laws get twisted out of shape. Suddenly, Newton doesn't work. We have these quantum effects that, again, we could say make Newton wrong, but to be more precise and more accurate in our speech, Einstein's theories of relativity did not make Newton wrong. It just showed that he was incomplete. He didn't have the whole picture. Uh, when creationists criticized Darwin and nitpick Darwin, well, come on, that was 150 years ago. Darwin wasn't wrong. He was incomplete. His breakthrough was brilliant. Natural selection is, once you understand natural selection and some of the ways that it works, it's a brilliant concept. But it's been refined. We know more now. Darwin wasn't wrong. He was incomplete. It's easy to pick on people that lived hundreds of years ago and say, well, they had it wrong. Well, wait a minute. This is a very important concept because the altered state that we're talking about that's been reported throughout history, often in a spiritual or a religious context, often associated with with ecstasy and bliss and, and a sense of radiant love that is just indescribable, ineffable. It's not just a different point of view. It's a bigger point of view. You You... You don't lose what you had to gain something else. You just zoom out or, again, rise up as, as if you're looking down on you, your life, your existence, your thoughts and your feelings from an elevated perspective or a higher point of view. Okay, And contemplation more than meditation would be the way to do this. Now, the standard uh, practice for tens of thousands of years, the basic, most fundamental form of contemplation is to use the breath. We've touched on this in the past, but it is so basic and so important. We should mention it again here. When you take control of your breathing, I mean, of all the autonomic functions in the body, your heart beats, blood pressure, body temperature, food is digested, fighting disease, all of this stuff, um, and many more that we don't even know of, uh, few are as open to conscious manipulation as breath. Breath is that one part of the so-called involuntary nervous system that we can voluntarily control. You can take a nice slow deep breath and uh, you can choose to do that. You can consciously slow your breathing down or speed it up. And then you can, at any time, let it go and allow the body to find its own natural rhythm 
and its own cadence. And so that's worthy of contemplation right there. And often the yogis will instruct students to do that, to put their attention on the bottom of the nose and deliberately take a few slow, deep breaths. As you do nothing but watch and witness the experience of the in-breath and the out-breath at the very bottom of the nose, at the very point where the breath enters and leaves the body. And then they suggest just reflect for a moment. Just take a step back as if looking into a mirror or a pool and reflect upon this phenomena that you could either be choosing to breathe at any time or allowing the body to breathe itself at any time. And so are you the one that chooses to breathe? Or are you the one doing the breathing? Or can we detach? And this is what tends to happen, even without instruction, with a little bit of practice. You begin to have the experience of watching your body breathing itself almost as if it were somebody somebody else's body. Almost as if you're watching another body sitting over here breathing. You get, again, I don't want to call it an OBE. It's not a classic out-of-body experience. What it is, is mindfulness. It's detachment. It's letting go. Not dissociating, certainly, but detaching so that, uh, well, the example we often give in the extreme is the difference between being an uh, an angry person acting in an angry way and looking at your anger and watching your anger and, 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 and seeking to understand the hurt that is beneath the anger. And that's a very different process than being the angry person. That's detachment. That's mindfulness. And that's what these breath-watching meditations can bring about. Uh, once you detach and learn how it feels to be the one that witnesses or watches your body being breathed, then you can do the same thing with your thoughts and your feelings. You can consider that there's a stream of uh, thoughts and feelings, currents in the stream of various thoughts and feelings, and that instead of being immersed in that, we can scramble up onto the bank of the of the stream of thoughts and feelings. We can sit up there on the bank and watch them go by. And you could say yes to this thought. You could say no to that thought. You could look at a feeling and instead of wishing you didn't feel that way, just say, well, I do. Let's watch it. What's this say about me? What does this feeling remind me of? Okay. What is there for me to learn? And little by little, as we maintain a countenance of a still body, of a quiet mind, and a tranquil emotional nature, it's like each feeds the other, and you begin to get this mindful detachment if you're watching your breath, and then with 
a little bit of experience, a little bit of practice. And again, this is that type of meditation called contemplation. Many people will tell you it's the only meditation there is. They're well-intentioned, I'm sure, but we've already talked, uh, especially last week, what is meditation was a theme about guided imagery and the use of affirmations and visualization and mantras and other forms of chanting and so on. But contemplation is the emptying, the letting go, the detaching. I hesitate to say emptying of the mind because that sounds like an effort. And uh, really there is no effort in contemplation or meditation. For that matter, it's quite the contrary. Always a matter of allowing or releasing or letting go. Just stop holding on (laughs) to all those thoughts and feelings. Stop holding on to that narrow, myopic view, and your mind begins to open all by itself. It's a natural condition. It really wants to go there. It's another reason that I think daily meditation has become imperative in our society, because we're not meant to live like this. And you could argue that 150 years ago or more, uh, before the Industrial Revolution, People had a slower lifestyle. Uh, they were closer to the earth. They were more connected to nature and thereby more connected to all things. Uh, people were just more sensitive then and, and didn't have the high levels of stress and anxiety that so many of us suffer from today. And meditation was a activity that they could engage in if they just again, wanted to expand their awareness. And that's what we're talking about today. I just want to point out that I think just for the purposes of managing stress and anxiety in our our daily lives, it's now an imperative. It's absolutely imperative. And uh, that's why I'm so glad that you're willing to join us in these Sunday classes because the ageless wisdom really is an overview of all systems I don't have anything for you to join here. and I'm not promoting one particular yoga or one particular technique. Uh, Again, I come to you, as most of you know, uh, my background is that of a journalist, and so I collect all of this information and would encourage you guys to do the same thing. Okay. So much for uh, the psychedelic approach uh, for the light and sound machines and the uh, the tapes and CDs, and then, of course, the breath-watching meditation, um, the contemplative meditation of the mystics. Uh, this this has been reported, uh, I was thinking uh, <laughs> this morning, getting ready for this class about one of the old Monty Python movies. Um, I think it's Life of Brian. And they have these pole sitters, these guys that sit up on the top of uh, uh, like a a giant tree or a pole. And it's their way of getting as close to heaven as they can and as far away from the material world. Uh, The uh, pilgrimage to the mountaintop is the same allegory, uh, trying to, you know, get to heaven to get as high as you can or as far away from the material world as you can. Uh, to, to understand existence and one's relationship with all things. And so you've got the uh, 
the pole sitters. Well, that really existed in history, you know, about the time of Christ, certainly before Christ and after. There were these ascetics in the Middle East that, that would do that as a way of promoting their contemplation. Uh, certainly in India we have the same tradition of the ascetic who thought that the approach to expanded awareness and eventually to the divine source of all things was through negation. It's called uh, an apophatic approach, apophatic approach. It's God is not this, God is not this, and God could not be that, and by eliminating all, sort of a deductive process, uh, by negating all that is not God, you eventually arrive uh, at God. So the ascetic, they would often live in, you know, the standard uh, stereotypical picture of the Hindu ascetic, his hair is all matted and is not very well bathed, and he's just, or maybe he's headed for the Ganges for the holy bath, and he's just got the briefest little, like, cloth on around his groin, and and lives in the jungles, and uh, is malnourished, and but seeking God, right? Well, this is the great story of the Middle Way with Buddha, which, uh, as I guess many or most of you probably know, Buddha was a prince, Gautama Siddhartha. Uh, There's a great story by Hermann Hesse that accounts sort of the biography of of Siddhartha becoming the Buddha. But Gautama Siddhartha lived in his father's kingdom in India and never ventured outside of this estate uh, until one day as a teenager he I guess he gets the assistance as I remember it now of one of the uh, one of the uh, workers on the uh, estate his father and mother are the king and queen of this whole area the Raja and uh, they go into town and he sees as the story goes three shocking uh, incidents, situations that transform him and uh, the first is illness, he comes upon somebody who is sick and he's never seen this and uh, he asks what is this and he's told this is illness, this is sickness then he comes upon somebody who's dying and he's never seen this either and so Siddhartha says to uh, the the worker, the landscape guy or the horse trainer or whoever it is that goes with him into the city what is this and uh, he said well this is this is dying this this is aging and then he sees death he sees a dead body in the street he says what is this and his guide says this my prince is death well, Siddhartha, it blows his mind as the story goes. He's got to, he's got to see more. He's got to learn more. He's got to understand more. Why would God allow sickness and aging and death? What is the deal? He's been protected. He hasn't, in his naivete, he's not seen any of this. And so he, he goes on the search. He leaves his wife behind. He's got a little baby and, uh, Although he's a young man, maybe 17 or 18 years old, he says goodbye, and I'm off into the world. And he becomes one of these ascetics. 
Well, to make a long story short, being a prince um, and, and living in this small protected kingdom certainly did not create a spiritual sense of awareness. Soon he finds out, hungry and dirty and his hair all matted and wandering through the jungles, that that denial and rejection of material things is not a path to God. And he doesn't know what to do. He figures he's had two choices. You know, you either approach through materialism or you negate the materialism and try to make a more spiritual approach, but poverty and hunger didn't seem to be holy, <laughs> didn't seem to be working. And as the story goes, he's sitting on the bank of the Ganges River, sitting under a Bodhi tree, a uh, type of a, a Indian fig tree. And a boat drifts by with a guitar player, or a lute player, and his teacher. And as the boat floats by, the teacher is explaining to the student. And Siddhartha is sitting on the banks, listening. As the boat floats by, he said, You see, if you tighten the string on the guitar, on the lute, too tight, it'll break. But if it's too loose, it makes no sound. You have to tighten it to the point where it makes a sound, but not too tight. And that's the middle way. And Buddha got that like a lightning bolt that expanded his awareness to such an extent that he became the Buddha. Now, as you understand, in Buddhism, as in esoteric Christianity, everybody has a Buddha within that's waiting to be awakened, to wake up. Just like in esoteric Christianity, the Christos is within each of us. Um, and again, I'm I'm tempted to get into a long tangent on that, but we'll do it another time. Awakening the Buddha within, awakening the Christos within, the idea that higher consciousness is already in there. It's just dormant. It's asleep. And it's waiting for stimulus. And this is the middle way to, the Greeks would say moderation in all things, even moderation, even be moderate in virtue. <laughs> but stay off the extremes of things. In the swing of the pendulum, it's not one extreme is good and, and wonderful and the other extreme is bad. The extremes are getting farther and farther from the truth, and and the way is the middle. The, the peace and the love and the truth and the harmony uh, that we seek in contemplation to create these states of expanded awareness is a is a middle way, is a path. This is the shishumna, this is the uh, the caduceus or the spine, this is the opening of the chakras, it's Jacob's ladder, it's uh, the stairway to heaven. Uh, it, how many different names do you need? The ladder of lights, Walter Hilton called it the scale of perfection. It's the path, it's the mystic's path. It's the third way, it's the middle way. Okay, it's a way of balance. And that's what we seek when we sit still and just, it's just like letting a bowl of muddy water settle out. And you just set it, don't do anything to it, and little by little all the particles will fall to the bottom. Well, that's sort of what contemplation is. Uh, it's a detachment. It's like 
the water is letting go of the mud, well, it's like the mind letting go of all of these senses and sensations that come through the physical senses and then stimulate thoughts about the external world. But there's a transcendent, a transcendental and inner landscape, of course, that we visit when we close our eyes and breathe. We tend to just closing the eyes alone reduces brain activity by 86%, according to some studies. And, and even if it were less than that, two-thirds or three-quarters, that's a great way to begin to alter your level of awareness. Close your eyes. It's that simple. Just close your eyes, and you'll be more aware in many ways. Okay? Blind people tell you that their hearing improves, but uh, it, it's, it's not something that automatically happens. They say it's just a matter of uh, moving their attention to what they're hearing. This is a fascinating aspect of consciousness, too, just how selective it is. Let me, let me tell one more quick little story, and then we'll check for questions and comments. Use that submit button at the bottom of the page to either say hi or submit a question about what we're talking about. I want you to imagine walking with me into a room full of people. Maybe it's a house party. Maybe it's a... Uh, business mixer of some sort. Just imagine you and I just stepping into a large room full of people. And as you stand there and look around the room, you become aware of numerous conversations happening all at the same time. Right? Isn't it amazing that you can, without any effort, simply by forming the intention, choose to listen to a particular conversation across the room, largely to the exclusion of all other auditory stimulus. I mean, there's a buzz, there's a background noise, maybe there's music playing as well. You're still aware that it's back there, but you're able to focus your attention on this one particular conversation. And then simply by moving your eyes around to another part of the room and looking at another small gaggle of people, you can listen to their conversation, largely to the exclusion of all others. And the point is you don't even need your eyes to do that. You can close your eyes and just sort through all of the different conversations. You know what I was doing the other night? I was listening to... Uh, what was it? Oh, it was Colbert's program, Stephen the Colbert Report on Comedy Channel. I, I love it. It's high satire. Brilliant man, Stephen Colbert. Highly recommended if you haven't watched it yet. And um, they had a new laugh track, and it had uh, featured a guy that was really obnoxious in this laugh track, and it caught my attention, and so I started listening to the laugh track and how it was put together. I started listening to uh, every time it would come up, and I even closed my eyes to facilitate this, taking apart the different voices and listening for the different voices that made up this laugh track and, and how it was used. And it sounds like there were two or three of them that they would overlap and, 
and weave in and out of. And it was absolutely fascinating. These kinds of mind games have a lot of value. They, it's like mental calisthenics. Uh, the brain is not a muscle, but in some ways it behaves like that. It needs some massage. It needs some exercise. Uh, it needs these mind games where we turn away from the physical world and automatically, very quickly, begin to benefit from an expanded level of awareness, concentration, paying attention. Concentration is a relaxation skill, and that's the awake state. You probably know the classic story of Buddha going through the woods, and and he's so radiant, and and people said, are, are, are you a god? And he said, no. And they said, well, are you... Are you a priest or a sage? Are you a saint? And he said, no. And they said, well, who are you? And he said, I'm awake. That's what we're talking about. Just just waking up, becoming awake. All right, let me uh, refresh my screen and see who we have here today. Good. We have good turnout. And uh, let's say hi to some of the folks that are on the line. Already said hi earlier to Randy in Lake Forest, and Charlotte in Montreal is with us. I never know if it's Charlotte or Charlotte. I, I grew up in uh, southwestern Michigan, not far from a city that everybody insisted was called Charlotte, but every woman I've never known with the name was Charlotte. In Montreal, she says, hi, Michael, thanks for being there. Even when I'm not here, you're here, and I can always hear you later. Uh, what a gift you give us all. Thanks very much. And you can hear us later, again, either uh, by podcast or the streaming audio or download. All of that's on the website at theagelesswisdom.com. All right. Theagelesswisdom.com. Remember the T-H-E. Then you just click on home page to go inside, and you'll see web teleconferences. And uh, if you lose the email, for example, that uh, brings you here every week. If you lose the link in that week's email, just go to the website and it'll be there. Okay. Let's see. Somebody who didn't leave a name just says, hi, Michael and Doreen. Uh, I have a feeling I know who that is, but uh, let's see. Uh, Randy says, Buddha in a box. Uh, what happens when psychedelics and the light and sound machine are combined together. Just curious. Well, I don't know, but that would be some sort of trip, wouldn't it? I don't know. I think one could only one could only imagine. Uh, again, the I, I want to point out that the so-called legitimacy of a light and sound machine, uh, holosync tape, binaural beats, or psychedelic chemicals, I leave to you. I won't even, you know, I'm not going to take a position that all psychedelic experience is fruitless or ridiculous because it's chemically based and therefore, quote, not real. I can't say that. I can't make that judgment. You know, you read Carlos Castaneda, you might come up with an entirely different uh, viewpoint of the psychedelic experience or some of the research that's coming out of the rainforests of the Amazon about uh, the use of ayahuasca and uh, and uh, the, the psilocybin and peyote and uh, 
these types of naturally um, occurring psychedelics. So I'm not going to judge it. Uh, obviously, there, there is something to be said for not doing any of that and just sitting down and watching the breath and getting this greatly expanded sense of awareness that continues. I mean, what is the passion of those who seek this? We want more peace. We want more love. We want more understanding. You know, it's like the Elvis Costello record. What's so funny about peace, love, and understanding? That's all any of us want. Right? Uh, let's see. Randy says, your transmission on my PC dropped out twice for a period of several seconds each, just so you know. Yeah, sometimes that happens. I have a note here that uh, I'm not sure what page it is, but uh, I think there is a uh, a warning on that on the website someplace. I apologize for that. that that's just a matter of your modem speed and uh, who else is... Uh, whether you're DSL and uh, how far you are from the telephone station or if you're uh, cable, how many other people are online and uh, those kinds of things. I'm thinking about getting a new wireless router myself on this end um, just because uh, these standards keep changing. So uh, It's much less of a problem than it would be if it were video. I'll just say that. So I'm not sorry you're having that problem, Randy, and... Uh, I'm aware of its, what shall I say, that it can happen, but I think it'll be pretty rare. And let's see, um, Roberto in Oceanside uh, is on also saying hello, and let me refresh again, and Carol in La Habra, yeah, I thought, <laughs> I thought that was you, Carol. She said, hi, Michael and Doreen, and didn't put her name in. So let's see. We're coming up on the top of the hour. Let's do our uh, guided imagery exercise then, and we'll uh, bring this class to a conclusion. Oh, I want to – let me check a couple of things real quickly here. Hold on. Okay, and refresh this. Good. Fine. It's interesting to me that uh, people come in in the middle. People are coming in, even now, this far into the program, which is cool. Better late than never. Uh, but it reminds me to to mention again, as, as Charlotte was saying, you can always listen to the replay at your leisure and at your convenience. So, And also consider the podcast. If you just go to iTunes Store, and type my name in the search box, you'll see under podcasts, the Ageless Wisdom Podcast. That's this event. Okay. So let's do our guided imagery exercise. We'll, we'll demonstrate the, uh, the idea of contemplation here and that the mindful detachment that is our entree to opening ourselves to ever greater levels of awareness, insight, understanding, the bigger uh, bigger picture, okay? So if you close your eyes, relax, get in a nice comfortable position, and take two or three nice, slow, deep breaths, inhaling through the nose, hold as you peek for just a moment, and exhale just as slowly through the mouth, going beyond where you would normally stop. 
and then inhale again through the nose. You can exhale through the nose or the mouth, but always breathe in through the nose and get a nice even rhythm going. And after two or three or four slow deep breaths, then turn your breathing over to autopilot. Let it go. Let go of your volition and allow your body to breathe itself. And then just as we discussed a few minutes ago, put your attention now with your eyes closed, feeling comfortable, safe, and relaxed. At the very bottom of your nose, as if you exist as a little spark of awareness on that ridge line of cartilage between the nostrils. At the very point where breath enters and leaves the body. And just watch that ebb and flow for a few moments. Throughout your body from head to toe, create and sense a feeling of letting go. Imagine how it would feel to be butter softening on a warm day. Or a snowman melting in the spring. And yielding to that wonderful feeling of letting go. And you're in control of the letting go. All the way to the very center of your being. Allow my voice to go with you and to guide you. In addition to maintaining effortlessly a gentle focus upon the bottom of the nose. As you watch the body breathing itself. As you reflect on having released control allowing the body's central nervous system to breathe it for you allowing you to detach and take a step back to zoom out or even have a sense of floating up to a somewhat elevated perspective a higher more inclusive point of view by letting go of that thought and this thought as if your thoughts were nothing more than birds landing on a telephone wire and then flying away again. Just watch the coming and going of thoughts. 
without holding on. Just keep letting go. At this point, allow your attention to focus on a particular issue in your life. It could be something as comprehensive as the nature of your existence and your relationship with the universe. Or it could be much more specific, mundane, and practical. Like, what do I do about this? Choose simply one area and hold that at arm's length. As if you're seeing it from, again, a level of expanded awareness, as if you've now got a more complete picture. and You see more than you've ever seen before. Just get that sense of zooming out or standing above it all. And you're detached from it. You are not that. You are the part that's watching and observing and witnessing that's awake. You are the awakeness. You are the awareness. To contemplate or to reflect is simply to sit patiently with an open mind as you mull over or consider. I don't mean analysis. I don't mean rational, deductive logic. I mean just watching, just witnessing no agenda and here's a couple of ways to think about the way intuition inspiration revelation illumination and enlightenment occur many of those words I've just mentioned include references to light as in enlightenment illumination this light can come as the gradual dawning of an idea or more like a light bulb popping on so that suddenly you see what had been here all along but you didn't see until you felt that little aha when the light bulb came on or you might be thunderstruck as if hit by lightning and the internal landscape of your experience is not only illumined but changed forevermore 
much more accurate, much more complete, more harmonious, and more inclusive. Always. That's the amazing thing about it. Bigger picture. It allows you to feel even safer and more relaxed. As the light comes, either the dawning or an aha or cosmic consciousness, it could be anywhere in that range, the coming of the light. Contemplation, sitting patiently, allowing the light to come as the mind expands. Another real valuable way to think about this is the way in which a cloud forms and water vapors condense and then precipitate down. This is an alchemical reference to realization as a precipitant. And maybe you even remember in chemistry class pouring liquids together in such a way that a white solid is created that begins to float down through the liquid, a precipitate. But of course, rain precipitates in the same way. Here in Hawaii, the moist air hits the mountains, the volcanoes, cools as it is pushed up the sides of the volcanoes. And as that water vapor cools, clouds form, and as the clouds become heavier and more dense, the water vapor becomes drops of rain and precipitates down. Those raindrops, every single one of them, needs a little dust particle to help it coagulate and then precipitate little seeds for the water droplets to form around. Ideation works in the same way. Consider that the, the dawning of awareness could come like light and it could also be a sense of gently raining down upon you from what the mystics of old called the rain cloud of knowable things. Imagine standing above you a rain cloud of knowable things, the vast majority of which you do not yet know, but it's gently precipitating down upon you, and you stand open and receptive to the impress of those ideas, those expanded realizations the enhanced awareness that arrives with a sense of confirmation. Not just a random idea, but a more inclusive and more harmonious concept that joins what may have initially seemed like separate or antagonistic ideas into a harmonious package, a big picture, and this is awake. And this is awake. For those of us who are especially auditory, another approach to this 
is to simply come to to this nice, quiet, calm, meditative place and ask a question, a specific question. Again, it could be a very practical question. Do I do I quit the job I'm in and risk this new job, or would I be better off to stay where I am, or is there a third way, a fourth option, a fifth possibility? It could be very mundane, very practical. Even mundane could be very, very significant. And ask the question, sort of like throwing a pebble out into a pond of water. Pebble goes plunk because you ask the question, and as the ripples radiate out in the pool of water, you repeat the question, perhaps echo it a second, a third, a fourth time, but each time it fades, and as the surface of the pond becomes again smooth, like glass, and you feel that tranquility. An answer will come to you, invariably, sometimes 15 or 20 seconds, maybe 30 seconds, but who's counting? An answer will come to you. And this is not logic. This is not reasoning. It's not illogical. It's non-logical. You didn't reason it. You didn't deduce it. You didn't take it apart with if-then statements. You didn't diagram the sentence. You just allowed the awareness to come. Ask a question in this way, in these wonderful levels of expanded awareness, and the answers come, especially if you're auditory. If you like pictures, you can do the same thing. For every physical sense and sensation, There is a corresponding astral sense. You can imagine seeing, imagine hearing, imagine smelling and tasting and touching. These are the astral senses. And this is where the expanded awareness is waiting for you to wake it up, to bring it into action. Finally, let's remember the inspirational quotation in Friday's newsletter about this class, where Albert Einstein says, and I'll just paraphrase, the intuitive mind is a sacred gift, the rational, logical mind a faithful servant. We have created and now live in a society that reveres the faithful servant, the rational mind, but ignores the sacred gift. Now, in just a few moments, I'm going to ask you to open your eyes wide awake and alert. But I want you to consider the paradox that the level of mind that we're in right now in many ways, is more awake than the place we're going to return to with our eyes open. 
and our other physical senses turn toward the world around us, the material world, the world of separated forms. We call that awake, but in many ways, that's the trance. And the meditation that we've called trance-like is actually the awake state. I'm not dictating this to you or even teaching it. You may sense my feelings along these lines. I offer it to you as a matter of contemplation. What does it mean to be awake, alert? And to what degree? In what direction? For what purpose? And so as you orient yourself toward the sound of my voice, remind yourself how easily you'll be able to practice this technique of contemplation for expanded awareness, insight and understanding from the most mundane, routine problems in your daily life and affairs to the most existential questions of existence and meaning purpose in your life, your relationship with all things, with each thing and with the one thing. Take a nice, slow, deep breath, inhaling fully and completely, and as it feels right and appropriate for you, exhale that breath and open your eyes wide awake and alert, wide awake back in the room, feeling fine, rested and refreshed and pretty excited about this new skill. Keep in mind uh, the, the idea of the induction and getting to this place of relaxation and then thinking about the light, the dawning of the idea or the light bulb coming on or being lightning struck uh, in a sense by, you know, this, this illumination, the Greeks called it Eureka illumination, self-realization the Hindus talk about, okay? And then the other idea of ideas precipitating down, you know, of watching the process of an idea form around a seed thought and then gently rain down upon you as a precipitate. Okay, and you stand open and receptive to the impress from what the ancients have called the rain cloud of knowable things. And we're going to do a, a class in the near future where we describe the nature of thinking uh, a couple of different ways. Um, in particular, uh, what I'll call the constellation of thinking. You know, most of us, if we look at the sky on a dark, starry night, uh, no moon, no clouds, lots of stars, you're going to look for constellations. You're going to look for certain patterns of stars, most likely, to orient yourself. You know, people navigated the earth with nothing more than a, an ability to watch the stars in the heavens and uh, figure out where they are and where they were and where they're going just from watching the stars. Well, constellations are fine. They're patterns. But if you consider 
all there is to be known, not just through physical sense and sensation, but internally realized through these contemplative meditations. All that could be realized is available, like every star in the sky. But we have to break the patterns, break out of the constellations of looking again and again at only certain stars. Oh, look, there's the Big Dipper, and oh, that points to the North Star, and there's Orion, and oh, that's Orion's belt, and Oh, that's wonderful. Nothing wrong with that. I'm certainly certainly not being critical. I'm just saying there are other stars. In fact, there are other patterns. You could invent your own constellations of thought, so to speak. And from that comes the thought stream, and from the thought stream come the roads of what's called the roads of thought, which is in a given thought stream, why does a particular thought or way of thinking will lead to the next thought and then to the next thought. Um, it's always fun to have somebody in the room who can backtrack for you, who is bright enough, lucid enough, that if somebody says, what were we talking about? Or How did we get on this subject? They can take you back. <laughs> and there's only really four different ways that one thought can connect to a different thought when our thinking is not applied or purposeful, but we're just experiencing this stream or this flow of consciousness and, and how it drifts where it goes. And I was thinking about brain worms this morning. Some friends of ours sent us a, a video of their daughter singing a song, and the song has been in my head ever since for two days, like a brain worm. Uh, that's part of all of this too. It's fascinating, and the role of memory in it. We'll, we'll talk more about it, uh, especially streams of thought and constellations of thought. But for now, just work with that idea of the rain cloud of knowable things precipitating down, or the idea of intuition coming as a dawning. And I think pretty quickly you'll realize just how that how different that is from logic from the kind of mind that you've been taught to use in school or at work to take a test or write a report, balance your checkbook, figure out uh, a schedule, uh, those kinds of things. That's very different from just sitting back and watching mental drift. Okay, But even then, you're not the mental drift. You're the one that could watch it if you wanted to. Okay, so that's pretty much it for this week. Again, I uh, want to remind you that the links that you need to the website, to the audio archives, uh, to my profile on LinkedIn are all on the page in front of you, unless you're listening by podcast or telephone, uh, down in the lower right. And you'll also see a large button, Wage Inner Peace Now. That takes you to FocusedPassion.com, where Steve Snyder and myself provide a weekly premium podcast on personal and spiritual development. We call it Finding Yourself in Paradise. And unlike this program and most others in the field, this is a conversation that Steve and I have every week for about 50 minutes or an hour, and it includes a visualization or guided imagery exercise. But you get to hear the two of us bouncing ideas off each other for 99 cents a week, $3.96 a month. Check it out at focusedpassion.com and uh, get on board right now. I'm, I'm, there's going to be a lot of changes coming up the end of August. I'm so excited to tell you about it. I can't yet, but 
just like our topic of the day today, it's going to be more expansive, more inclusive, more complete, and certainly more harmonious than uh, the current website. But there are going to be some benefits of getting on board now. I'll just I'll just put it that way. Buy now, limited supply. Okay, uh, focusedpassion.com. Click on the big button that says Wage Inner Peace Now, and below that, my website, the audio archives. It's all right there for you. Hey, thanks again for listening. I really appreciate it. Uh, tell your friends. Share these emails. Forward them. Get them to the website where they click on the free newsletter button and sign up. And uh, let me hear from you. You can always email me at mb at theagelesswisdom.com, my initials at theagelesswisdom.com. And you can call me and leave a voice message anytime, 24-7 at 818-569-3017. Okay? 569-3017 in the 818 area code. Again, that's voicemail, so you can call anytime, 24-7, leave a little message, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. And uh, so we'll talk to you next Sunday on the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School webinar. Thanks a lot. And from Maui, Hawaii, aloha.